Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. There was no one in the trucks. The sun glittered and flashed on empty cabs. The wheels turned themselves. You couldn't think about it too much. You'd go insane if you thought about it too much. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. I'm Arnie, here to keep on trucking through my Stephen King review series, looking at all the widely published works by the prolific author. I'm well over halfway through King's 1978 short story collection, Night Shift, but I still have a good number of stories to go. And this week, I'm reviewing Trucks, originally published in the June 1973 issue of Cavalier Magazine before being reprinted in that 1978 anthology. Trucks tells of five people trapped at a truck stop and diner. They cower inside the building as outside, all the semi-trucks and tractor trailers have come to life. The vehicles drive themselves, gears shifting and wheels turning, without anyone in the driver's seat. And these big rigs want blood. We quickly realize that when a sixth person in the diner, named Snodgrass, tries to make a run for it and is quickly mowed down. At just 16 pages long, King's story is short on explanation. The characters in the story don't know what possessed these trucks to become masters of their own mobility, and so we don't know either. In fact, we barely learn any of the characters' names. This is yet another Night Shift tale told in the first-person form, but our narrator is a complete enigma. The character is never given a name or a backstory, but among the truck stop survivors, his survivalist instinct makes him the de facto leader. The other four people in the truck stop are also not very well defined. There's an African-American short-order cook who works at the truck stop, a trucker, and a young couple. And of the couple, only the man, Jerry, gets a name. His girlfriend is also anonymous. Throughout the story, we witness these characters come to terms with no longer being top of the food chain on Earth. They try to determine how to survive, if they can escape, and, eventually, what the trucks want. As the story progresses, smaller vehicles start to gain sentience. Almost like the problem spreads like a virus. Greyhound buses and construction machines start to come to life as well. Though, even smaller vehicles like cars, motorcycles, jukeboxes, and soda machines remain inert. On the surface, I looked at this story and saw King doing something he does very well. Telling of a group of people, mostly strangers, trapped together for their own survival. For me, the epitome of this is The Mist. But it's also in The Langoliers, and in a larger scale of small towns in Salem's Lot, Needful Things, and Under the Dome. I also saw this as an example of King once again taking an everyday object and transforming it into something dangerous. From the laundry press in The Mangler, to the family pet in Cujo, to a little girl in Firestarter, and even a can of beer in Grey Matter, King sees things around him and writes the ways they can be their most terrifying. And no doubt, semi-trucks are something worth fearing. These giant machines race down the interstate, and the driver is so high off the ground that, in the rearview mirror of my car, the headlights look like eyes, the grill of the truck bared teeth. Standing next to one can make you feel incredibly minuscule, though that feeling is lessened on the highway. Still, when driving, I treat tractor trailers with a good degree of distance, respect, and a bit of fear. Surely that was some of the origin for this short story, but when reading trucks, I realized it had another, far more direct inspiration. 
George Romero's classic Night of the Living Dead. Replace a farmhouse for a truck stop, replace zombies with big rigs, and the parallels are obvious. First, something that had been long dormant comes to life for unknown reasons, be it the recently deceased or large motor vehicles. Racing for survival, five strangers, including a young couple, barricade themselves together for survival indoors. In this story, the narrator's race isn't given, but the way he keeps thinking of the truck stop employee as, quote, the black counterman, unquote, implies the narrator is white, meaning that there's one member of the group who's African American. One man seems to be the leader of the group. It's Ben in Night of the Living Dead, it's the narrator in Trucks, and that man goes out in the danger to get needed supplies. In Night of the Living Dead, Ben and Tom go out for gasoline. Here, the narrator and Jerry go out to get drinking water. The parallels are so close that once I realized them, I couldn't help but feel King's work was just derivative. This story was published just five years after Night of the Living Dead, which King said in interviews he saw during its theatrical run. So these similarities can't be accidental. And now, I look back on King's writing in a whole new light. I mean, I already mentioned how this type of survival story is something King is well known for, but now I see that he got the inspiration for that entire concept from Night of the Living Dead. It's no wonder that Romero and King became great friends working together on Creepshow and for years on a failed adaptation of The Stand. But unfortunately, this comparison paints King's story in a bad light. It's like King saw Night of the Living Dead only as a tale of human survival against an inhuman monster, and he missed all the character development and social commentary Romero put into the film. Reading Trucks, I don't think King had a thesis about machines taking over jobs from man, and that this was an allegory for man becoming slaves to machines and using the skeleton of Night of the Living Dead to tell it. No, this reads just like a sci-fi adventure tale. Even more... I really respected Romero's Night of the Living Dead for its racial politics. The importance of putting an African-American male in the lead back in the 1960s can't be overstated. And with that heavily on my mind, I was a bit put off by the stereotypical portrayal of an African-American male here in King's story. Instead of a strong black man leading the fight for survival, we have a more stereotypical black man working in the service industry who mispronounces his words. King spells out the cook's words phonetically, such as, quote, Yesty was delivery day. We got 300 Hamburg patties, end quote. But lest I be too hard on King, I do think he tries to bring some characterization to the cook and his ethnicity, as it is the cook most of all who chased at the idea of becoming a subservient slave to the machines. The white men see it as survival. It's the black man who realizes some things are more important. Sort of. The cook says it. It never comes up again, and he changes his mind later, but he says it. But also in King's favor, I want to point out that about two-thirds of the way through this story, Trucks takes a totally different road than Night of the Living Dead. No truck-killing posses come out and rescue the survivors at our truck stop. In fact, King's ending for the story is so bleak, it makes Romero's almost look triumphant by comparison. And while I try to keep these reviews as spoiler-free as possible, I think the ending of Trucks contains no real surprises or twists, so I'm going to discuss it. If you want to be totally spoiler-free, you can hit pause, go read the 16-page story, then come back. Now, I don't think the differences in the endings of Night of the Living Dead and Trucks are entirely by design. I believe King was writing this story and had an epiphany. If the dead come back to life, there's no stopping them. You can't kill what's already dead. But Trucks, they break down all the time. 
They run out of gas. They get flat tires. They need new oil and filters. Maintaining my own car is an expensive proposition, let alone an entire world of trucks. And even if these big rigs can drive themselves, they lack the dexterity to handle a gas pump. So by necessity, the story goes down a different road as the trucks devise a solution for this problem and our human characters are forced into slavery, filling the gas tanks of their new machine masters. When the truck stop runs out of gas entirely, a tanker truck helpfully drives up, allowing the narrator to refill the pumps and resume his fueling duties. Seeing a plane fly overhead, the narrator wonders if any machines are still under control of humans. And while he knows these trucks will break down, assembly lines in Detroit continue to produce more semis. This apocalyptic ending does give this story one unique feature. You're not going to see this narrator cross over into any of King's other fiction. In Stanley Waiter's, Christopher Golden's, and Hank Wagner's book, The Complete Stephen King Universe, they've actually set this story as being in a parallel reality from other King fiction. And in this area is where stories like The Mist, Beach World, and Home Delivery also sit. But I don't think that the human race is as doomed as our narrator does. I think it's kind of a naive view, and it's one that the author seems to share. But had this story been written just five years later, after the gas crisis of the 1970s, I think King may have realized this premise is ridiculous. The trucks come to life on their own accord but need gas is their fatal flaw. Even if the trucks are able to bully and threaten humans to refill them, there's a limit to how far that can go. If pumps run out of gas, they need tanker trucks to refill them, but how many tanker trucks are on the road? Beyond that, will they bully more humans to refill the tanker trucks from oil storage tanks? Are boats autonomous as well that can bring oil to this country? And can large machines continue to bully humans to keep oil wells pumping out more crude? The logistics of the human component required to keep machines running cannot be underestimated. I suppose it's possible that the trucks could keep us so enslaved that all surviving humans exist only to maintain trucks, but it's a stretch to be sure. And that's really saying something. Self-aware trucks? That's a premise I can go with. That they need gas and maintenance? Not so much. And I'm not even going to bang my head into the desk trying to figure out where trucks learn to honk Morse code. King himself wrote, quote, You couldn't think about it too much. You'd go insane if you thought about it too much. End quote. So I'm really not going to think about trucks too much. But I don't want to dismiss the idea of evil self-driving vehicles. This is a concept King would revisit a decade later to much greater effect with his novel Christine. It's a credit to King's growth as a writer that he can envision an apocalyptic world where every truck on earth has rebelled and it leaves me cold, but one single Plymouth Fury can excite me. It's also probably worth noting that in trucks, one of the first cars destroyed is, you guessed it, a Plymouth Fury. But I also think that King would revisit this story again much, much later. In 2006, King wrote his first real zombie novel, Cell. The similarities between trucks and Cell are less obvious, but first, both involve the evil of technology. In Cell, it's a cellular telephone that starts the zombie outbreak, and in trucks, it's self-aware semis. But the result is the same. We follow a group of survivors against a group of unstoppable killing machines. But more than a reversion to Night of the Living Dead, when this really hit home was when the trucks started to honk their messages, reminding me of the zombies in Cell trying to negotiate with the human survivors. I didn't like it much in either story, to be honest, but I think it worked a bit better in trucks than in Cell. And hopefully, constant listener, you and I can discuss Cell many, many years from now, 
I mean, at the moment, I'm really looking forward to reviewing King's works of the 1980s, let alone the 21st century. But for trucks, it's a bit of a throwaway story that I think would only serve as a fetal version of Christine were it not for one simple fact. In 1986, King would take trucks and adapted himself for his directorial debut, and to date, his only directorial effort, the film called Maximum Overdrive. And despite the title, I think it's more due to Maximum Overdrive than the material itself that also prompted a second filmed adaptation, the 1997 TV movie titled Trucks. Stuart, Jacob, and I will be reviewing both those movies this summer at NowPlayingPodcast.com, and I hope you'll join us. Right now, we're reviewing the adaptations of Sometimes They Come Back, so you can hear all those reviews and more than a dozen other Stephen King movie reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. And here at Books and Nachos, I'm continuing to review the short stories from Night Shift. Next week, I'll be back with my review of Strawberry Spring, and I hope you'll join me. In the meantime, please truck on over to BooksandNachos.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this review or on King's original short story. As I've mentioned in some other podcasts, Books and Nachos is more a labor of love than anything, but it's really the interaction with you, the listener, that makes me spend the time to record, review, write, edit, and post these book podcasts. So please, head on over to the forums or drop me an email at show at booksandnachos.com. I look forward to talking with you. And I'll be back next week. In the meantime, please remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.